This is the Mindful Musical Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Miske. music you just heard features this week's pair of guests, Priya Darshini and Max Ziti. Specifically, it was the title track from Priya's 2020 album entitled Periphery. Last week, the University of Nevada Arena was lucky enough to host these two incredible musicians for masterclasses and performances, and they were gracious enough to squeeze in an hour for the wonderful conversation you are about to hear. Priya has collaborated with a wide range of artists from Pearl Jam, Grammy Award winners Roy Futurman Wooten, Jeff Coffin, Philip Lassiter, Silk Road Ensembles Shane Shanahan, virtuoso ukulele player Jake Shimabukuro, Dave Egger, Karsh Kale, House of Waters, and many more. In 2020, Priya released her sophomore solo album, Periphery, and was nominated for the 63rd Annual Grammy Award for Best New Age Album. Based out of Brooklyn, New York, Priya has sung over 100 television and radio commercials, as well as recorded several award-winning and chart-topping movie soundtracks. Max Ziti, lauded as the Jimi Hendrix of Dulcimer by NPR, has performed with the likes of Ravi Shankar, Jimmy Cliff, Bela Fleck, Victor Wooten, and so many more. His band, House of Waters, who released music on Snarky Puppy's Ground Up Music, have been deemed truly mesmerizing from All About Jazz and a sight to behold from Time Out New York. House of Waters have toured throughout the world, including Europe and India, and their latest release is their 2019 album Rising, produced by Grammy winner Guy Eckstein. Max and Priya both ascribe to a mindful approach to their musical creativity and performance. In this interview, we discuss their musical training and how important one's point of view can be to succeed. In this interview, we discuss their musical training and how important one's point of view can be to success and how to handle challenging surges of emotion or thoughts during a performance, and much, much more. Their insights into the philosophy of a musical life are refreshing and inspiring, and I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation very much. So Max and Bria, welcome. Thank you both so much for your time today. I'm so excited to talk to you both. Thank you. Why don't we start with just a little introduction, and Max, you can lead us off if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, my name is Max ZT. Uh, I'm a hammer dulcimer player. Originally from Chicago, um, but currently based out of New York. Um, the hammer dulcimer is a uh, quite large trapezoidal instrument for that those that don't know. Uh, there's about 100 strings on it. Um, mostly in this country, it's used for American folk music and Celtic music, which is my background for quite a long time before I got interested in music from around the world. I spent a lot of time in West Africa, a lot of time in India, and, uh, and I've tried to incorporate uh, my studies from those cultures into my playing. Uh, it's been now, you know, playing for 30 plus years. So there's a certain level of fluency on the instrument. I also have been building them for about 15 years, more now, maybe, yeah, yeah around 15 years. And um, uh, from from there, it's kind of really given me a deep insight into the, into the instrument itself and how to use it to best express uh, what I'm, you know, going through, what life's all about. Great, thank you. Ria. Uh, hi, my name is Priya Darshini. I am a singer, songwriter, 
educator, um, amongst other things. Uh, but I grew up in Mumbai, India, and I have been studying music since I was four years old. Um, so that's about maybe 34 years, I think. Yeah, 34 years. I started with uh, classical Indian, the South Indian classical Indian music style called Carnatic music. And then many years later, I moved on to studying Hindustani classical, which is the North Indian style of music. I'm still studying the music. Uh, I still have weekly lessons with my guru. It's a kind of uh, it's a kind of music that you, I think, we just dedicate your whole lives, your whole life to studying. So I'm hoping I stay a student all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's a both these styles of music um, is entirely improvisational. Um, so yeah, mostly an improviser as well as I've been learning many other styles of music and acquiring them and trying to create my own style from it. Great. Yeah. We were so lucky to have both of you here at the on campus at University of Nevada, Reno, um, doing some great master classes and a wonderful concert last night. Um, and so you mentioned improvisation. I know both of you are very steeped in that tradition from different viewpoints, perhaps, but mixed at some point. And so I'd love to talk a little bit more about that, the process of improvisation as it pertains to kind of a sense of awareness and a sense of openness and mindfulness to a lot of extent Hmm. um, while performing and while learning that trade as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I guess the instrument, um, well, I can can take a step back even in, maybe we can start with Indian classical music. Um, my experience is not as, as, uh, developed or as, as long and as deep as Priya's. Uh, I started studying Indian classical music, I guess only in 2008, 2009. So it's about, you know, 14, 15, 14, 13 years from now or since then. And, uh, really it took me a long time to recognize that Yes, there's this data, there's this rhythm, there's this harmonic structures to it, raga or dala, but really this is just a, uh, a practice of presentness. It's a, you learn the, the rules of the raga uh, or scale, um, and then ev- eventually focus on fluency, like we do right now. Um, you're not thinking about you know, verbs and prepositions and nouns and about how this all works, how the form of English language works as we're speaking. We're just being fluent with each other and talking. And if we can, talking from the heart and talking from like a real one-to-one type of place. And if you're improvising, you have to have that same type of uh, approach. You have to have the, the knowledge of, okay, this phrase works, this phrase doesn't work. Highlight this thing, don't highlight that thing. Make sure that this, uh, this color is, is, you know, pushed more or this color is less, you know, uh, obvious. All these different kind of rules to the each raga. But in the end, you're just trying to just be. Uh, and so the data of, of the music is almost irrelevant, um, especially because it's changing every time. Um, so I guess, you know, if I can just speak generally about it as we, we can get more into detail of it, generally it's uh, the, the notes that one, one plays when improvising changes every single time. So obviously that's not your constant. What it is the constant is like, how can I center myself? How can I really just try to be a conduit so that I'm almost like looking from like a third you know, uh, perspective, like above, like seeing like from this objective kind of place. Um, that's, I think, what it's really all kind of about. Yeah. Hard. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, being a classical French horn player, I don't deal with improvisation all that much. But yeah. the, the act of making music with others, I think there's a lot of crossover there, regardless of you're mm -hmm. playing the notes on the page or not. Mm. Um, so, Priya, what's your experience with that concept? I, I mean, I'm sure that you have a similar viewpoint. Yes. yes, it's very similar. I think you said it beautifully, Max. And, I mean, yes, there's this, we learned these structures right, because they offer us tools. Starting from a completely unknown place is, is, is difficult, it's challenging. What are your next moves when you're improvising? When everything is an option, it's open, what do you do, right? That is tough. <laughs> so as I learn, I mean, my entire improvisational background is, uh, is from Indian classical music, but I've been taking these tools and applying it to every style of music, um, and that's the beauty of it. Improvisation can be just, it's the thought process, it's the philosophy of how to move through these notes, how to use these notes uh, and bring them into the present. Uh, how to use these structures, but move fluidly within these structures as if those structures don't exist, right? So what what I have been studying is, um, I've been, you know, in, in typically you learn several tools, you learn how to sharpen these tools over time, improvisational tools. You have these structures you work within. Uh, in Indian classical music, you would call them ragas. Uh, and they're very... Harmonically, at least. Harmonically, right. yeah. They're called ragas. And um, they're very specific in terms of rules. You can't break them. But the reason you have these rules are because uh, it creates a specific type of... It, it paints a certain type of emotional landscape. And that is the point of singing in these specific um, ragas. So when you start to improvise within these ragas, there are all these rules, you learn these rules, you repeat them over time. And then once they're just, you understand what those rules are, which actually takes, it sounds easier than it is, it takes a long time, sometimes years, um, to have that fluency. And to be honest, everyone can have that fluency, right? At that, at that point, it's just about developing skills and then being very good at your craft. But being an artist is, 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 not, is, is that next level after you but, have all your skills. Yeah. After you, Yeah, <laughs> you're a craftsperson. You're amazing at your craft. Your technical prowess, everything is there. But once you're there, what are the choices you make, why do you make these choices, when do you make these choices, how do you make these choices, and what is the purpose behind every single note that you sing or you play. That is what makes an artist, right? And I think that is what you don't really learn. You learn through experience, time. It is also, I think, very tied into who we are as people, um, wisdom, it comes with maturity, it comes with age, it comes with introspection. All of that is so tied into improvisation. And, you know, you'll, you'll often see that I have experienced this, that even as I sing this same raga over the last 20 years, 30 years, you know, it's not like, oh, now I have it down. I, I don't. It's every year there's something deeper that's coming out of it. Mm. You know, so that's the beauty of improvisation. We have these same notes that we work with all our lives, right? But it's the quality of the thoughts. It's the purpose for why we're playing 
why we're choosing this specific note at this time, how we roll them out, all of that. That's that's the beauty of I I think of improvisation, the choices we make and why we make them. Yeah, the the, the thing you mentioned about the next level being artistry or that idea of creating once you've mastered everything that your teachers told you in terms of learning your skills and your ragas and your collections and and um, I'm sure the the Indian classical system has certain like patterns that you will learn le- use yes. just like American jazz musicians Absolutely. might learn over and over again um, but that next level once you hit that choice mm-hmm. I feel like part. that's the hard part right because yes. not just from a a performative standpoint but also from a emotional and psychological standpoint mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. because that's where that nagging kind of second guess or that you know kind of internal critic can start to pop up yes right so that's beautiful i mean that's what that's that's everything that's the whole point is that you you have this this fluency in this and in, in all of your craft right you have all of that but then it's like okay what are you actually choosing you know there's no judgment right judgment's own is never in the present moment, judgments about something that will happen or you know uh, has happened in the present state. There's it's there's no ego. It's just alive, and so if you kind of remove that, and then you just say, okay, I'm just going to choose this and make that active, not passive, but like an active choice. Like that's that's everything. That's what that determines who you are as a person. You know, I mean, it's true with regular life stuff well outside of you know notes <laughs> oh yeah absolutely so that i mean that's such a huge challenge too right is to, to be able to commit to that like mm-hmm. i totally agree with you that's that's the ideal like that's what we all strive for, or strive for is that being able to make those decisions in the moment and be 100 percent present and committed to those things as we do them right right the challenge is when that doesn't come as easy or when all of a sudden you feel like oh maybe i didn't play that lick the way i wanted to or so and so is in the audience and listening back and maybe they'll judge me this way or that way or maybe i won't get that gig of so and so right that all those kinds of thoughts so i'm for the two of you being you know international musicians touring a lot playing a lot what are some ways that you found to help get you back into the beauty of creating and of sharing and of committing to your own improvisations with when those kinds of thoughts start to creep in a bit. Yeah, I'd say trust, I think, is probably the big word, where if you're playing with other people, you know, like, okay, it's okay. Everything's okay. I'm not alone here. And if you're doing it on your own, it's still like, it's okay. I got this. I know I'm fluent. I have this thing. I've been working on this. And again, you know, like we've been saying, like we're thinking of, we've talked about this in, in other contexts as well. It's like as long as you're on this path, like w- the, the pace of growth on that path is, is I, don't, I can't judge that, you know. And so I don't mind if I'm trying to become more introspective. I'm thinking about this constantly. I'm always like, how do I get more present? How do I get more present? How do I forget about all this stuff? Get, you know, these horse blinders kind of on. So I just focus, sheer focus on just the smallest of things so I can make this music more meaningful to myself and to my listeners. If, I, if I'm really on that path, if I'm not progressing at a, like a, like a super fast pace, like why does that matter? Like why is winning so important? Like, can't I just go slow? Can I just like progress slowly? Obviously, I, of course, I want to be, you know, enlightened. <laughs> you know, like right. that would be great. But like, okay, like if it if it takes some time, it's time. In Indian classical music, all of these masters, they're not in their thirties. No one's in their thirties. Everybody's, you know, fifties, sixties, seventies. Ravi Shankar died at ninety, what, ninety three, ninety six. 
Like, and he put out a record like a month prior. Like, th- this is a lifetime. My, my, you were saying it takes a certain amount of time for each raga. My guru t- teaches me uh, a raga. It takes five years for each raga. Imagine, in the, like, let's say raga yaman, right? Which is basically Lydian. And you say, mm-hmm. okay, now you're going to practice Lydian for five years. You'd be like, well, I'm going to be a pretty good at Lydian. Right. You know, <laughs> at the yeah. end. And then at that point, all the data, oh, you, you have it. And now it's like, how do I actually get good at this? So I don't, I don't mind the pace of, uh, of that. And so if you're having these little doubts and having these judgments and all these little words that are coming into you, into your mind as you're trying to improvise, it's okay. Let that happen too. You know, have it kind of be, have it pass through you and not, and not cling to it, hold on to that. Let it, let it just go through you and your pace is your pace. Yeah. I think some of the points you brought up are, I mean, everything was wonderful. It's, it's such a perfect explanation for the process. And I think that's good reminders for everybody, no matter where you are in whatever level and style of music you play is that trust in the process. And that's one of those things that teachers will tell students and the students just roll their eyes. Okay. But I want to be good now. Stop telling me to trust the process. Like, can I speed up the process? Right. Exactly. Right. (laughs) And the, the idea that to enjoy the process and then to, to know that at the other side is, is where you're going to be and where you want to be eventually. And it's okay to be, to take that as long time as you want to. And honestly, I don't think I ever want to get to the other side. Mm. Like if I got to the other side or all of a sudden I did it, then I hope that's like the day before I die, you know, like then it's like sweet, done, great. And then death, like fine. But like if it was, if it happened any time before that, like I would lose my mind if I got to the other side and like succeeded in this way. And then all of a sudden just like, then I don't know what's left. Right. What do you think? Yeah, no, those, those are all great points. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think this is just part of the process to be challenged with all of these different thoughts that we have that is exactly what is necessary. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't have the opportunity to grow and um, get past them and get through them. And I think every time I have one of those thoughts, it is my opportunity to, to pick and choose how do I interact with this thought in this moment? Do I choose to let that limit me? Do I choose to um, allow this to help me grow in this moment? And I think it's just about making, what I do for myself is I don't, I try not think long-term in those ways. If I can show up in that one specific, in this specific moment, in the best way I can, it's so much more manageable um, and, it's also more realistic. I don't know if I have a tomorrow for myself. So what am I, you know, all I can do is do my best in this moment. And if I've shown up in the best way I possibly can, I'm happy. And if I haven't, I just have more work to do. And I feel that's, that's okay. Um, more work to do is always good. Uh, it just means that there's, there's growth ahead of me, which is an exciting thing. <laughs> I always want growth ahead of me. You know, um, that's a good thing. And mm. and the thing you said about all, what do you do when you're on stage and you have these thoughts, um, I think personally, you know, it's so it's so often that these thoughts happen. You know, oh, who's I look at someone in the audience. I'm like, oh, my God, that's a musician. Uh, and, you know, that happened with me recently. I was just playing at the Lincoln Center and, 
you know, someone I really, really admire and respect. I didn't even know they were going to be there. And, um, and they were in the audience and I got, I was suddenly, I got to know just one minute before I was going on stage. Yeah, you texted me, you're like, thanks, oh my God. And I, yeah, and I just, you know, I remember my heart beating and it felt like everything I knew, just I'd forgotten everything mm. and it was ridiculous, <laughs> uh, but it, it happened, you know, and, and when I went on stage, I experienced all the things you just brought up. Like, how do you feel? Like, it, I was questioning my entire existence in that moment. Am I good why enough? I I'm, ter why I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible artist. I'm a fake. I'm... You know, all of that happened. But the moment, but the, you know, I had that, I was like, okay, I'm here now. I have to do my best. I have to sing, you know, I have to play. But what actually happened when I started playing was the, every time I've practiced when during my, you know, at home and I'm practicing every day, there's this tendency to constantly include the idea and practice of mindfulness, dropping all my, all my walls, my egos, and to show up. Um, every time I sing to show up in that way. So that has become almost synonymous to singing, to performing. So when I started performing, that is that also is a part of the performance. So it's become, so I think it's, it just helped me get there immediately without having to force myself to get there or like bring all my techniques or mindfulness techniques or something. So I think what I'm trying to say is, you can't, mindfulness is not something you do for like one specific moment. Okay, six to nine, it's going to be mindfulness hour. <laughs> I, th I don't think it works like that. I think it has to be, um, I, I think it has to just be the way we navigate life. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy, of course not, because that's, we're human. Things are going to always happen. And I think I, the idea is to just persevere to constantly be mindful in everything we do, which means if I'm doing the dishes, I have to be mindful. If I'm, you know, just taking a walk, I'm, I have to be mindful. And uh, it's just being present in every moment fully. Not easy, but that's what, that's what I aspire to do. And so every time I'm playing music, that has now become a practice. So I'm realizing this is something I just noticed happen. And I was like, how did I do that? And I... You know, I try to think about what tools did I use? What did I, how did I, how was I able to go back to that place? And I realized I did nothing. I just started singing. And for years, as I've been practicing, mindfulness has been a part of how I practice. So that also just is like hitting a note, singing a note, and it comes, it happens mindfully. It's, it's like that's my filter. With mindfulness. It's, it's infused yeah. with mindfulness. So that's how it came out. And I was like, wow, that's, I think, what's happening. So it's like I'm, pre I'm fully present in that moment now every time I sing. So, and I'm so grateful that has happened now because to have to now call for all the help I can in that moment would have been very difficult for me. So the practice of mindfulness is what is required, I believe, you know. Yeah, the, the emphasis of one of your points specifically I want to bring up is the idea that what you practice is how you are on stage. How you practice right. is how you are on stage. So if your mental state, what you're practicing is frantic and um, super self-defeatist and, you know, it's constantly berating yourself for this or that or the other thing, and then you go to stage and like, okay, now I'm going to be calm and I'm going to be gonna happy, happen. it's not going to happen, right? Yeah. So the awareness to be able to acknowledge the kind of mental emotional state that you're in while you're practicing 
to see if that's the way you want to be on stage or not. Right. right? I've seen so many friends walk by a practice room or whatever, and you see, you know, like flailing arms and frustration, you know, or kicking chairs or, you know, all sorts of crazy things that happen to musicians when we're trying to, quote, practice. Um, and if that's the kind of energy that you're practicing with, of course you're going to infuse yeah, the so music that you're working on with that kind of energy. That's how, that's your relationship with the music. Right. It's like, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah. like, when you said when you felt a little nervous and all of a sudden you start singing and all of that, all the mindfulness work that you've done with in, integrated with your music and in your everyday life was able, you were able to call that up without even trying. It was just part of you as a musician and you as a, from day to day. And I, I get that same vibe from you too, Max, is that the way that you two interact with music is in a very mindful way and is in terms of the intentionality behind it and the, the intentional mental and emotional state that you use just with music, period regardless of if it's at home or if it's on the road or if it's in your, you know, playing for your yeah. parents in a living room or playing for, you know, thousands of people in Lincoln Center. Yeah. Right? It's the same. We were just talking about that with the, that example that really helped me a lot actually this past year. Uh, I had this record come out and my first solo record is something I care a lot about. I was very proud of it. I think I, I emailed you about it. It's the, 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 fully improvised record. And all of our friends are musicians, right? Like, I would say, what, 80% of our friends are musicians, which means nobody's coming to shows because they got their own shows. Right. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I haven't seen other friends' music forever. Uh, and so I see the release party. It's at this great venue. Every time we've played there, it's, like, always sold out. This time it's, like, like 50 capacity. I'm, like, you know, scouring the, like, table list. I'm, like, freaking out. And uh, it was like hailing. It was like still Omicron times. Like it was like all the excuses are fine, but I'm still feeling this way, you know. And Priya did this amazing thing, where she was like, "Would you?" She asked me, "Would I play any different if I was the only one?" If, if Priya saying this to me, if, if Priya was the only one in the room, would I play any different? And I was just like, "Of course not." Like, well, of course I wouldn't. And it just made me like, like. It was such a, it was probably one of the best concerts I've ever, I've ever played. I think so too. And maybe. Because it was just like oh, all of this ego that was like such, that was just like blocking, like just, just blocking the, 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 the excitement of the moment. I didn't, I didn't have any of that experience building up to the release of my, my, my album. I just didn't have that, that, like, that fun, energetic, like joy that I could have had. Instead, I had this like freak out, you know, ego moment. And uh, and only when it was able to be like, oh right, this is I, I this is what I do. This is fine. Okay, hold on. Let me just let me just what an amazing experience it is just to do this, and uh, let me create for the sake of creation. Like, isn't that enough? Like, why do we care? For only in the past what thirty years, if not five, have people cared so much about these numbers, about like. Facebook likes to TikTok views to CD sales. It's like for thousands of years, it was just some random person underneath a tree just making music, like with nobody else around just for that. Like how come that – how come we've lost so much – like so much sight of that? And so let me just yeah. lose all of this for a second and then just actually just create. And that create creation for the sake of creation is like – it almost sounds cliche, but it's like this is really what it's all about. You know, I, I don't know. It was, it was, 
this experience changed everything. It was only in April, so I might change again. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there's the the myth of control, right? And so we, as as performers, yes. we don't really have control over a lot. We can't control people's perceptions of our music. We can't control the outcomes of, you know, auditions or of bookings mm-hmm. or of an audience's reaction to a CD or whatever it might be. All you can control is what you do with your music. That's the right. only thing we can really control. Right. And what yeah. you put into that so that, like, even the music itself, like, what we're basically getting around is that it's not even that important. It's the, it's the intention behind it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have to have fluency. Obviously, you have to have knowledge. You're not just going to be like, I don't know. You know, not doing whatever you right. want. But it's, it's you, you have to have that, that knowledge center to draw from. But, like, in the end... It's what drew me to Indian classical music. I heard my guru. I was like, this is not, these aren't just notes. Like something is happening here. Yeah. I mean, I've been to so many concerts that I'll hear technically, deeply technically proficient musicians, right? Incredibly skilled, Mm -hmm. just ripping away at their instruments. And it's very impressive. It's deeply impressive. But then the ones that I really remember and that stay with me in my heart, the ones that have moved me are often ones that are so, like, where the music is not, is so simple and there's something deeper in there. There's something deeper that you can't learn, you can't teach anyone. That just comes from being, from that person's intention and that person's that presence yeah. and their, what, what they're bringing into, in, into that moment. Right. And that is so special. That's so special. It's magical when that happens. And it doesn't have to have anything complex. You know, uh, people who come to shows are not there to... That's another thing I try and remind myself. People who are coming to our shows, they're buying a ticket. They want to forget. I d- I mean, sometimes I try and remind myself, what is going on in your life? Like, I look at the audience and I'm like... What was your day like? Why are you here? What What is happening <laughs> yeah. in your life? Who's Are you hurting? Are you okay? You know, um, is your family okay? Every, we're all going through so many things. And I'm sure that every one of them is struggling in some way just like I am. So I have this opportunity to, like, not get so caught up in my world about hmm. how good am I, how, you know, and actually use this moment to just connect with that to trust that this person is here because they want to just be present and have this moment to themselves so they can just heal something that they need to heal or just be there and forget about their worries. Or I have to trust that that's, that's something that I can use. And in that moment, it doesn't matter if I hit a wrong note. It doesn't matter if I technically messed up. It doesn't matter if I'm sim- if I sang something very simply. I think it matters that that person who heard me, even if one person in that audience left taking, you know, left feeling better than they did when they got there, I did my job. You know, I did something good. I would feel very successful if I could do that each time. Yeah, the the idea of the intentionality behind a note, right? You can say that, you know, two notes, let's say it's just like a descending whole step or something from like a G to an F or whatever, right? right. Like that could be the most boring two notes in on the planet. Like n- no one would give it a second thought, right? But right. if you do something with those notes as the artist with your choices, right, your intention, yeah. it can totally transform not only the music, the sound that's created, but the reception and the experience for the people who are listening. And that is something that's much, much, much deeper than just learning the technique. 
Beautifully said. Do you, just, do you include all this in with your students? Do you teach all this? Yeah, absolutely. They're lucky. Your students are lucky to have <laughs> this type of, um, yeah, yeah, this type of teaching. That's fantastic. Well, and too, yeah. like no matter where someone is at their level of progress with music, yeah, whether it's you know I've been playing the cello for a week, mm -hmm. or I've been playing violin for thirty years, right? You can still, you know, give give part of yourself to the music that you're playing. Right? It's not yeah. just notes. Like the notes on the page are just there, you know, if you're using notes on the page, they're yeah. there for a guide. Like we were talking about, you know, with learning your, your ragas or other, you know, scales and patterns and things like that are used or there to just establish fluency, right? But it's then way beyond that. Yeah. Right? So yeah, regardless if it's back. two notes or 200 notes. Right? Absolutely. I, I was mean, thinking about it now when you were saying about like your favorite or like going to a concert and seeing like a technique basically a technician, you know, doing all this technical proficient stuff versus going to a concert and hearing the simplest of things, even one step, like, further with that, like, it's not even about, like, you, you, when you see, when you remember those, your favorite concerts, it's never really, you don't remember any of the notes. You're just remembering a feeling that you're kind yeah. of coming away with. Yeah. Right? And so that's, that's like the, the most amazing, for myself included, the most amazing concerts. I can probably list them, but none of them, I remember the content of what was in it. I just remember the feeling I had, you know, but I could probably actually remember people that were like shredding, you know, and doing, right. I, but I, I don't remember the feeling I had, right. you know, at all. Yeah. But that technical promise, you sit in a room and repeat it a thousand times. Right. It's just time. It will, it will happen. Yeah. It's just time spent. Yeah. And that's great. It right. takes a lot of dedication to do that, but you can get there. Right. But coming back to our conversation about being an artist, you can't learn to be an artist or you can't become an artist. You are an artist. And that's what that is. Like you, again, with like mindfulness, you just are mindful. You can't say, oh, I'm going to be mindful from six to nine. You can't <laughs> say, oh, I'm going to be an artist when I get on stage and perform. You're an artist when you're brushing your teeth, when you go to bed, when you sleep, when you're peeling potatoes. You're an artist the whole time. So how you approach life has to be from that moment. And I think we all just have to believe that we're here as artists to uh, traversing this world, being just being just that. Yeah. And I guess that changes how we approach everything. I know that... Um I've heard from students, like college-age students, mostly high school students that listen to these interviews and that, you know, maybe you're wondering, that sounds good. I don't want to think about technique forever, you know. So, like, what are, do you, either of you remember some kind of moments that really changed your perspective on that? Where it's like, I'm going to no longer think about, like, the technique. I, you know, I want to be more this way. I want to be more you know, committed to my, my artistic message or my creativity or things like that? Do you, either of you remember specific moments or just maybe general time frames in your life where that was a big pivotal change? I have a story. Great. <laughs> um, I was living on Gore Island, just this island right off of Dakar in Senegal. Um, and I was living with the, this group of people. It's like a social cast called the Bifal. Um, they're kind of the like wandering like people that ask for alms and are like the you know spiritual kind of diplomats of a of a culture. And we, it was a very we were living in this old. There's this huge cannon on the top of this mountain, like this massive cannon, 
that I think the Portuguese put there in the 1400s. Like, it's old. It's crazy. And you climb through the side of the cannon down into these rooms, and that's where we were squatting. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, and so I was living there. Uh, this was like when I was there for about like four or five months maybe. Um, and I met this guy there, uh, this older guy. And he's like, well, I've seen you around the island. It's a very small island. I was like the only white guy. Like, it was like, okay, what's, you know, like, what's your deal? And we started talking and hanging out. Um, and he started talking to me. I didn't really understand the impact of it until much later. But he started talking to me about uh, life and music. Um, and he gave this imagery of, of a barrel um, where there's this one barrel here. And inside the barrel is your oil. That makes it like a you know you're transporting this this you know oil oil drum, and the the time and your technique one's technique is this shell, is the is the shell of the barrel, and the oil is like the heart behind the uh, behind the music right the the like the real stuff that's in there, the stuff that's inside, and. When you grow your technique, your barrel grows, but your the same amount of heart is now very small. So, so for example, when you make contact with this barrel, okay, uh, and you interact with the barrel and it's full, uh, it is you hit it. It's like a like a like a pure tone, like on a glass full of water, right? But if there's, if it's an empty barrel, it's like chaos, it's overtones, it's not, it's like, it's just craziness. And so he was talking about it in this type of way where you have to fill this barrel so that it, with your oil, but if you're continuously growing your shell the, the, with technique, then the same amount of oil and heart mm -hmm. as in your music won't fill it anymore. And so you have to grow your oil to match your technique as it's growing. Because also, if you have too much heart, but not enough shell to transport mm. the oil, then it'll just spill out all over the place, and you won't be able to give it to anybody. All you can really give is the what your shell can contain. And so you have to grow this so much. But the problem is, and this was, I was like in college or right post-college, like I didn't at that time really understand the difference between like passive and active you know, growth and, and, and work. And so like constantly as a music student, you know, you're growing this shell, you're growing your technique nonstop. You're sitting and you're shedding, you're constantly practicing, you're writing stuff down, you're getting bigger, better, 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 better. You're doing active practice and growing your, your barrel. But what about practice of growing your heart? How do you even do that? How right. do you grow one's heart, you know? And I only recently, I guess, but even, I mean, it started then, but even recently, more recently, I realized, like, this can't just be, okay, I'm just a good person because everybody's a good person, and I grew up with the right type of ethics and morals, and that's good, and my heart is fine, so I'm totally fine. No, it has to go beyond that. Like, you have to have active practice in growing your your heart, the oil that's inside this this barrel, because otherwise it's just, as it, there's just going to be a limit it's going to just, your barrel's going to get so big and that, that 10 ounces that used to fill up that 10-ounce oil drum is now minuscule. It's nothing. It just sounds like it's empty. And so it's just this weird kind of imagery that stuck with me where it's like, okay, I have to constantly be growing the, the technical component, but also the heart component, ideally at the same pace. 
and the only way to really do that is to think about like active work because at some point I'm, I, I don't want to sound egoistic, but I'm good technically at my job. I'm very good at it. I've been playing for 30 some odd years. Like, of course, like we're saying, anybody who's going to practice, you're going to get that. It's just a matter of time. But, uh, and after a certain amount of, if I'm performing that constantly, like the vast majority of people aren't going to notice necessarily that they're, that my barrel's empty, you know, if I don't work on my barrel, because it's going to, it's going to impress. It's going to be awesome. I play a super rare, weird instrument that I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at it and people will like it. Uh, but after a certain amount of time, they'll definitely catch on, but I will for sure understand that I am empty here. So I have to constantly be growing it. And that's when I start to realize that, oh, my God, wait a minute. I'm going to slow it down. I don't need to actually do all this stuff. I'm just going to play F to G, you know, and that's it. And that's, that's enough. And then you're going to get, like, mind blown by just that one little major second, you know, right. and that's it. And so I think for me that when once I kind of – well, once I heard this this uh, this kind of imagery and this analogy that's stopping like 20 years since then or 15 years and it's just kind of stayed in my head – uh, and now thinking more about the difference between passive and active, that really, that changed everything. That made me realize, like, okay, I have to, like, it turns out this is hard work, <laughs> you know? It's not just the notes on the page that's hard work. It's the, it's the oil inside that's also hard work. I'm not sure how to, to do that actively, necessarily. I mean, there's whole worlds of traditions that teach you that. You know, yeah, but. it seems it seems like and maybe I'm off base. Let me know, but that you can infuse that kind of intention, that heart, with the technical practice that you're doing. So I think a lot of people separate. I'm going to work on my technique. I'm just going to play my scales mm -hmm. at you know 134 whatever and 16th notes. I'm going to play it up and down and up and down and up and down. Okay, and now I have the same scale on music. Now I'm going to play it with phrasing or with musicality or with intention behind it. Right. So is it that you can work on both? kind of at the same time? Do you feel like that is a way to help fill the barrel and you expand have to. at the same I time? Feel, I feel you have to work on both at the same time because, I mean, I, that is part of the process. You first learn all the tools. You fill your toolbox. And once you sharpen all your tools, and then you are in a place, in a position where you're now called upon to ask, what tool do I use when? Right? You can't get there without actually going through the aspect of not even having tools mm -hmm. you can't show up without tools <laughs> right. uh, you so having the skill set is absolutely a hundred percent essential you can't replace that it's all hard without skills doesn't work all skills without hard doesn't work they it is that combination having both and then there's something deeper also right. which has to which shows up at eventually when you're asked when we're asking the right questions uh when you know when there's introspection i think that maybe is is to do with just with the work of of who we are as people i i feel that is what that's another aspect of where people get to you know once you have this path once once you're on this path of you know building technique skills then heart you know and then there's something else that magic that aspect um i even remember in in bombay when i was studying with my guru like i was i it took me a second to recognize that like like i was doing a lot of stuff i was i was i was traveling a lot and i was experiencing you know regular life stuff 
outside of me sitting at home and practicing a certain raga. And I was like upset myself. I'm like, am I wasting my time here? I'm on this grant, you know, like, what am I doing? And I only, only realized like, well, wait a minute, like, this is also important, you know? This is also the heart stuff too. This is not just, you know, you can't just sit in that room. You know, you can't just do it. And of course you can put intention and heart and different things behind it while you're, you know, practicing 134 BPM and stuff. Like I get it, but like go outside and like just look at grass for a minute, you know, and <laughs> breathe like some fresh air, breathe some yeah. fresh air yeah. and yeah. like, and, and pause and reflect and like get it to a place so that when your barrel is, you know, larger that you have enough oil to put in it or mm. If you're, again, like you're saying, if you have so much of this heart, then okay, if, if that's where you're at, that's amazing. And now grow your technique. Now go sit in your, in your practice studio and just go at it and, and build that barrel. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to give anything. Right. You know? It's funny. When I was going through, you know, various degrees, I would see people who I thought were like, you know, the top of the top, and they were just practicing all the time. You know, every time I walked by the practice room, bank, right, it was, they were in there, always practicing. I'm like, oh, man, they're going to be so great. They're going to be so amazing. Um, and I would be, you know, practicing some, but maybe not as much as I should be some days. And, oh, we're going to go for a run today. Or we're going to go explore this place and go for a hike. Or we're going to go sit in the park, you know, on a nice afternoon and, you know, things like that. And looking back at it, you realize, like you're saying, that those experiences in life beyond the practice room do influence your music. They influence your artistry. They influence, you know, and also just your happiness, you know, being a well-rounded, happy human being is an important thing too, not just a good musician, but it does affect your music. And I, I feel myself in that when I, when I play my best, it's because I, you know, have some kind of connection to some kind of experience or thought or memory or Mm -hmm. story or something that influences that, ultimately the sound that I'm able to create. Is the majority of the music that you play Western classical? Yeah. So even in Western classical, you're saying this? Oh, yeah. So that's that's what's so beautiful. Like, even Western classical, as most, like, institutionalized and, like, as, like, structured as you can possibly, like, stereotypically imagine, Mm -hmm. even here, it's it's still yeah. deeply important. Especially here, I feel it's deeply important. Actually, probably important. true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More so there Especially than the other so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because, I mean, if you think about your standard music, let's say you're you know, playing in an orchestra or something as, mm-hmm. you know, second violin or as, you know, you know, even like a principal wind part, fr- principal flute or whatever, you're going to have lots of times when your notes are just long note, long note, long note, long yeah. note. And it's a crime to just play a flat, boring note all the time, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, there's certain places where I guess it's more encouraged than others in certain situations where you might not want to emote too much. But I'd say better to err on the side of trying to put something into your music beyond the notes on the page at all times. Well, also you're playing music if, I mean, obviously it depends on the repertoire you're playing, but like, are you playing Bach Hmm. or Beethoven? Like what's like some standard stuff that you've been playing, that type of world, right? So if, if, if these pieces have been played 10 million times over hundreds of years, like what makes it different and what makes it different is, uh, and, and if the notes are fixed, right? If it's, if it's Western classical music, the vast majority is going to be fixed notes, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, then why, why are we even doing it? And the reason is, is because that person that's putting their own mark on it and you get your own individual mark on it by having this balance between, 
the technical proficient side, the fluency in one's craft, and then the the real stuff, the 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 stuff that gets you into a present state, the stuff that uh, uh, fills that barrel, uh, the stuff that really is what makes you you, and that's uh, that's that's very transferable outside of music. It's yeah, very easy to think about that in 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 walking down the street and driving your car. Yeah. Um, this has been such a wonderful conversation with both of you. I, I love that we were just kind of dovetailing all over the place and lots of great ideas. <laughs> we and, can talk forever. Yeah, right? We could keep going for hours and hours, yes. I'm sure. Um, but I'm sure there's lots of people who want to know more about what you two do and, and how to get in touch with you, how to find your new albums. You, Priya, had one in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. That's available on all the normal streaming services um, and from your website. Services, yes. And Max, your new album, what's the title of that? Uh, I have a bunch of records up this year, actually. Um, my first solo album is called Daybreak. It came out on Six Degrees Records this past uh, April. Um, you can get that on all of the all of the things. Yeah. Uh, Max ZT Daybreak, and then I have a group called House of Waters. Uh, we came out with an album called Where I Wander this past May. Um, that's on Ground Up Records, um, and that's also available on all the internets and. Yeah. Great. And then your website, Max, is just? MaxZT.com or HouseOfWaters.com. Okay. Instagram, you know, all the things. All the things. And Priya? Yeah, same, PriyaDarshini.com, but it's better to find me on Instagram. Great. I'll add links to all this stuff to the show notes and all that kind of stuff. Instagram, you can find me at, uh, my handle is Priyism, P-R-I-Y-I-S-M. Excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you both so much again. Thank you for having us. This has been such a delightful yeah. conversation. I feel like we're just getting started. I know. <laughs> yeah. We'll do another one. We'll do another one. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Another huge thank you to Max and Priya for a wonderful conversation. And thanks to all of you for listening. You can keep up to date on all new podcast releases and other exciting news by following me on Instagram at Mindful Musical Life or by visiting the website mindfulmusicallife.com. If you have a suggestion for a future topic or guest, please reach out. I'd love to hear your ideas. Remember, anyone who might be interested in mindfulness coaching can reach out via Instagram or my website to schedule a free 30-minute consultation. And lastly, if you like the podcast, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you again for listening, and see you next time.